everybody. Back with another episode of the Hugh Finger Podcast. Today we have with us Paul Blank, because I, for legal reasons I can't tell you his last name. But uh, how the heck are you, Paul? I'm doing all right. Yourself? I'm doing all right myself. But um, so it's a pretty serious story we're going to tell today, or Paul's going to tell us today. But I just want to start off with getting to know you. So where were you born? Uh, I was born in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. So were you raised here? Did you move around a lot in your childhood? Or um, I lived in Bourbon County for most of my life. Okay. Uh, back and forth between here and there until through my teenage years. Um, I lived a couple other places. I moved to Florida when I was 20 for a few years. How was that? It was all right. I was in Orlando. That's not the best place to be in Florida, I don't think. Not in your 20s. And uh, <laughs> moved to Nashville for a few years. Clarksville, Tennessee. I've been back here for quite a while now. All right. So what did you do after high school? Uh, Actually, two days after high school, I was on a bus to to go into the military, uh, basic training two days out of high school. What made you want to do that two days afterwards? Uh, Initially, at the time, my goal, I wanted to be a case officer for the FBI. Okay. Um, That's ironic. I was pursuing uh, police administration at EKU, and, uh, of course, I got lied to by the recruiter. I was trying to be an MP, and I ended up in uh, field artillery, of all things. So, uh, but yeah, I was in two days out of high school, and I was like, okay, this is a culture shock. <laughs> I was uh, 17 at the time. had to get my parents' signature, both of them, to get in. But, uh, you were 17 and you went in? Yeah. So did you have like a, a pretty high drive to get into like investigative work and police work? Yeah, I did at the time. Do you have a um, reason for that? Is there something that all inspired you to do that? Honestly, I think I watched too many police and CIA movies. Yeah. I think uh, later on in life I realized maybe, maybe I want to be an actor and just play a cop on TV. Yeah. <laughs> not actually be a cop because uh, once I was in college they said police work was 90% paperwork and it wasn't all action and stuff like it's not like on you, like you see in the movies kid right. yeah. <laughs> well um so you told me previously when you were discharged from the military like medically you had injured yourself but you also said you had some conspiracies about that or you had suspicions about the situation i just want to hear that story well i wasn't medically discharged um actually had a less than honorable discharge it was called a questionable discharge at the time uh basically i was doing my uh annual training at fort uh fort atterbury and i uh i pretty much drove the lead convoy uh the battery commander and the first sergeant around um, to and from the, the exercises. And so last minute, they told me that they were missing somebody and I needed to go help uh, load some track vehicles up onto semis to move those. Like I was certified to drive pretty much all the tanks. Gotcha. So tra- a track vehicle is basically like a big tank? Or? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a command carrier uh, It's like a tank without a gun. didn't have a gun on gotcha. it. Gotcha. Just like a big transport vehicle right like armored transport vehicle. right gotcha. they set up and i was i was in the operations at the time so i was with uh, all the higher up officers and stuff 
um, manning a few computers and radios and was pretty much at the head of everything that was going on at the time, communications-wise. Um, so they told me last minute that I had to go help load these vehicles. Uh, I told them I'd already loaded my TA-50 up. It was locked away. They said, don't worry about it. There'll be some CVC helmets inside the track vehicle. Um, so I get there, and the line of vehicles is already moving forward. They're like, get in, go, hurry up, hurry up. So I get in. I'm trying to adjust the seat on the track vehicle. I look for a Kevlar a CVC helmet. I don't see anything around. Um, and they're telling me, go, go, go. Well, I moved about two feet and hit the brakes, and the, uh, the tank hatch came down to my head uh, with no helmet on. Basically, the only thing that stopped it from breaking my neck was that my chin was over the edge uh, where the top came down. So it basically dislocated my jaw, uh, knocked seven of my vertebrae out of place. Wow. Um, I'm shit. pretty sure it was a heavy concussion at the time. Uh, so basically, I got out, told the guy what had happened. He's like, go to the infirmary. So I went to the infirmary, uh, and basically all they did was they x-rayed my jaw and told me that it was dislocated, but it wasn't broken. They didn't look at my spine or my skull or anything like that. Um, I don't even think they gave me aspirin at the time. Wow. And when was this? Me, like, what What you, age were you? Uh, what year was let's it? Let's see. It would have been 96. Not to call you out. Sorry. So I would have been, let's see, 20... 20 years old, I think. So you were 20 when this happened. So I you had to like so. you had been like three years in or so. I've cl- been in a couple. I was yeah four years. I was in my fourth year. So you were close to being like you know getting your what is it called the 1080 or whatever. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was on a I think a four by two four years active and two years inactive. So I was at the end of my four years active. Gotcha. Um, but in, in that situation, it sounded like you were rushed. Oh, yeah, I was rushed, and then, like I said, I went to the infirmary, and they basically made me sign something saying that I couldn't see a civilian doctor without written consent from the military. There, is um, there a reason for that? For why? Well, I mean, I don't understand why you couldn't do that. Well, I think they realize how bad it could have injured me. Right. Um, I think automatically it should have been a medical discharge, and gotcha. I should have been taken care of from that day forward from the military. Um Basically, that didn't happen, though. I was moving to Florida, and they gave me a number. They're like, uh, this is to be your transfer sergeant. When you get down to Florida, uh, contact them. They'll set you up with a new unit. And I basically never called anybody. Pretty much went AWOL at that time. Wow. So, so, so you, think it was, you think that you were rushed on purpose so that you could get injured? Doing something that you weren't you know, you weren't regularly doing in the military? Or do you just think what they did afterwards was to cover their ass and then that's when it got a little funky? I mean, I think it was afterwards. I don't... I mean, it was odd timing that everything happened last minute. Right. But, I mean, I think the fact that I should have been medically discharged and the fact that they uh, they pretty much said, screw you, was, uh, was not a good thing. Right. Until you... Can't see a civilian doctor. They misdiagnose, mix, uh, misdiagnose you, basically, and then don't even medicate you properly. And did you stay in the military after that for a little bit before you were discharged? Did they make you work? No, that 
pretty much like I said, it was right after that I was moving to Florida. And oh, I, right, uh, right. You went AWOL, basically. I went AWOL, yeah. And okay. apparently, uh, basically in the National Guard, which is what I was in, uh, the cops will show up for a couple drills, you know, to escort you back into there. And after that, uh, you basically di- get discharged. There's no, I mean, you don't go to jail. You don't, it's not like being full-time military. But, I mean, I was basically taking the risk that, okay, you can send me to jail. I'm not going to go kill somebody or get myself killed for, you know, an institution that is not going to look after me after I've been injured. True. You know? I agree with you. So, well, um, so you were not, you said you weren't medically discharged? No. So you no, were just, I should have been. <laughs> you were honorably, uh, honorably discharged? No, it was less than honorable because less than of honorable, the AWOL. But it wasn't dishonorable. See, I don't really understand the concepts of, like, discharging. Well, initially, after several years, I was kind of worried at the time that they might still be looking for me. I might have to do jail time. Uh, So I had my sister call the unit, and they were like, oh, it's okay. Everything's fine. He's not in any trouble. If he wants, he can come back. I mean, this was several years later. Um, Basically, I try to pursue start to pursue you know to find out what was going on so i went to the va hospital um because i was having a lot of issues with my my back and stuff like that and they were the ones that gave me the paperwork saying that i was uh other than honorable discharge um so basically now i mean i I filed to get my all my military documents i didn't i haven't got my medical files so if i get my medical files i can try to pursue and, and get you know, get it upgraded to try to get a medical discharge. And this is recently that you've been in pursuing that? Uh, it's been a few years ago. Okay. Um, and I've known, a, there was a guy that I was in the unit with, uh, he had Gulf War Syndrome, and it, he said it because of the bureaucracy, it took him about three years before he was able to get his military disability. And that's um, like directly after he left? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He said they'll give you a runaround. And it's funny, when I started calling about it, the first three phone calls I made, uh, they basically said, we don't have any record of you being in the military. What? Which was a little strange to me. But That's finally I was able to, to get me. through and, and get my my documentation. So, Okay. Well, that's a story. So the premise of that story, or not the premise, but like the paraphrasing of that, guys in there really young, close to, your, close to the end of your active duty contract, you get rushed into a situation which – could or could not be a setup, most likely not. And then they misdiagnosed you. You basically went like semi AWOL, I suppose. And you got a less than honorable discharge. But you believe that they were purposely trying to fuck you out of any kind of compensation that you can get out of the situation. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, because that's, I mean, potentially several hundred thousand dollars. I oh, mean, wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand the gravity of the situation, I guess. That's crazy. But damn, man. Well, I guess we'll just jump right into the next story because that's got me a little flabbergasted. I don't know what to say. <laughs> but um, so the main reason I got you here today is because we work together and you told me a story. Actually, not a story, a situation that you're presently in um, about your daughter being stolen from you at birth. So I want you to dive into the beginning of that as well as you can. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about me. Just Speak your piece. Okay, so uh, 
I was with a girl at the time. Um, we weren't married or anything, uh, which hurt me in the whole legal process because I don't think any of this would have happened if that had been the case. Absolutely, yeah. Um, basically, she told me that she was in love with me. She wanted to start a family. And after she got pregnant, um, we were driving one day, and my truck broke down. And she's like, oh, we can't do this. We can't raise a child. I already have a family lined up. We need to give it up for adoption. Wow. And so... It appears to me that she had already had somebody lined up and that her initial plan was to get pregnant and to give this child away, uh, possibly to get paid for it. I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. Right. Um, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me if she would set that up before even asking you. Yeah. It's and pretty it, crazy. The couple that uh, she had contacted were uh, through a church that she went to at the time, uh, uh, the woman was a school teacher and the man was a lawyer, um, which I think has made this situation a lot more uh, difficult than what it yeah. should have been. Um, so basically, I told her that I did not want to give my daughter up. Um, Naturally. <laughs> and she said, basically, I'll see you in court. Oh, what? So. That makes me think she really was doing this intentionally. I knew. I knew the approximate date that she was going to be born, so I started calling around hospitals pretty much every day to find out if she had been admitted, and I guess she had instructed the nurses to make sure that I was not to be told. Were you of out her. of town at the time? No, I was here in Lexington. Was she just avoiding you? Oh, yeah. So you didn't know where she was at? I had no idea. Wow, um, okay. At the time. Um, so basically, three days after... My little girl was born. I got a letter in the mail uh, from the courts uh, naming me as a person of interest, as a putative father in the case, um, granting these people temporary custody of my daughter, um, which in the state of Kentucky, temporary custody can go to the age of 18. So it's it's basically like having full custody. Right. Um, they're trying to adopt her but the adoption couldn't go through um because of me uh so they did what's called an ex parte order um basically they took her home from the hospital while their lawyer and the judge sat in a room and signed something giving them temporary custody um there were no affidavits there were no um, signatures by the people that took my kid. There was no uh, sworn testimony, nothing. It was all just a backdoor agreement. Um, it's basically just a word-of-mouth agreement. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was on paper. But like I said, the, the people didn't even sign for it. You know, they did wow. it so they could take her home directly from the hospital. I got you, yeah. Um, and, you know, my due process was violated because I didn't even know she was born when these people already had custody of her. Wow, what the fuck, man? And they knew that I was trying to get her. I'd actually set up a meeting uh, with the lawyer a couple weeks before she was born, you know, saying I wasn't giving up custody. I'd sent out certified letters to the mother, uh, to both the other parents, to uh, the adoption agency that they were utilizing at the time. And uh, I recorded the meeting with him. 
and I utilized that later in uh, testimony. Uh, so how'd that meeting go with him? Basically, you know, I told him that I wasn't giving up custody of my daughter, and he's like, well, we spent all this money trying to adopt because we can't have kids. Um, and this is the this I'm, is the guy who took your daughter to the lawyer. This is the, the lawyer, yes, yeah. that took my daughter. And is he um, representing? He's representing himself. No, 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 he's not. Okay, he has a he has a lawyer who apparently is in very uh, close cahoots on a first name basis with the judge involved. Okay. Um, so basically, he told me I was making a grave mistake. Um, you know, they told me they couldn't have children, blah, blah, blah. And since they've had legal custody of my daughter, they've had two children of their own biologically. Oh, wow. Uh, after serious? claiming that they couldn't have kids. So. And how long has this been going on, the, the court battles for your daughter? Um, a little over five years. I started fighting before I got the first uh, documentation, and she turned five uh, August 20th of this year. Wow. And uh, how long did it take you? Because I know you have like, and granted, it's not a lot, but only one day a week with your daughter. How long did it take for you to get those rights, just to be able to see her once a week? It took a long time. Um, how old was she? Honestly, the the very first time that I was allowed to see her uh, was on my birthday that first year, and she was about two months old. So I didn't lay eyes on her until she was about two months old. Wow. Um, basically, the mother had said all these things. And their attorneys had said all these things, uh, basically claiming that I was unfit to even see my daughter. Um, so I had to go through a long, long process to get any type of visitation. Uh, when the visitation first started, it was supervised visitation. And the person supervising was the guy that has my daughter, the lawyer. Okay, well, um, that's weird. And I saw her for three hours at a time in the food court in Fayette Mall. Um, which is not the most uh, relaxing, homely situation right. you could fathom. I feel, I feel it, yeah. Um, the next step, they wanted to find another supervisor. Um, it was like an unbiased supervisor? Watch. Yeah, and they yeah. end up choosing my sister randomly. What? Um, she was available for some of it. And then I had to keep fighting and fighting. I, I basically had... In order to get unsupervised visitation, um, I did 24 hours of parenting classes. Um, I took drug tests. I, uh, I had to have two different social workers come and watch me with my daughter. And a friend of the court had to come and watch me with my daughter. And all everybody saying that we don't see any issues here whatsoever. Um, so eventually it got to where... You know, I now have overnight visitation unsupervised because nobody saw any problems with my living environment or my interactions with my own daughter. Right. Wow. So, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. So through this process, they've basically treated you like an unfit father, a father who's on drugs, a father who's not, you know, financially responsible or even personally responsible or mentally unfit. And I know you pretty decently from work and the talks we've had about this that you're an upstanding guy man like you're as nice as they come i mean you're responsible you work your ass off you have one of the best work ethics i've ever seen and to, to hear that these people in the court systems and the judicial systems have treated you this way is appalling and i just it just infuriates me that you've been you've had to know your daughter 
through another family for five years. So she's five years old. I mean, I know she's talking and things by now. I mean, how is that for her? Do you, does she give you any insight on how her perspective is on the situation? I mean, I think it's fairly traumatic for her. Um, I think that they try to poison her mind against me as much as possible. Um, That's disgusting. I don't, I don't know, you know, what they say to her. I know that, that, I know that she loves me, and I know that she has a great time when she's with me. Um, but there have been times where she showed up and she was kicking and screaming, saying she didn't want to come. And I know it's it's something that they planted in her mind, right? Um, because the moment that they would take off, she would be fine and happy and laughing. Um, so I've I've had to go to counseling sessions uh, with her and with these people. Um, a ridiculous amount of stuff. They've done everything to keep me from from being able to see her and spend time with her. Um, and I'm basically, re- they, they do treat me like a bad guy. I'm um, really interested because this needs to be known. This is a message that people need to hear. These are the legal actions and the quote unquote legal actions people take to acquire somebody else's daughter and I or son, child in particular, whatever. But there's a lot of people that go through this, not just you. And I think this is a very special opportunity for us to expose the corruption that is that is our government, our legal system. And I'm really interested to hear the processes that you went through, like your the first round that you had to go through to get to supervised um, visits with her, just to see her at the mall. What would you have to go through just to get to that? Gosh, I don't – it all kind of runs together. I mean, my, my court – documents are stacked literally probably a foot a foot and a half high um from how many times i've been to court and how many actions that we've had to take um it's funny my first attorney um so i had to prove that i was the father uh i had to take a paternity test and i was a little paranoid because the mother and the guy that she was seeing at the time were trying to get the paternity test set up in a different location somewhere in Louisville instead of Lexington yeah, that's and because I'd never seen my daughter at the time I'm like they could take any random child in here right and say oh that's not your daughter so wow. um, I had my lawyer make a motion to make sure that the mother was tested as well so that the the child would show the DNA of the mother because um, I didn't trust him and I mean luckily the judge allow that to go through because they could have used any child. I mean, there was no proof of who right. the child was. I'd yeah. never seen her. That was a smart um, action to take, though, to get both blood tests done so that you have, like, a, you know, intersect, intersecting reference. Right. Um, so, basically, you know, the test came back 99.9% uh, that I was the father. That was the first thing. And my, my first attorney was like, okay, you're the father. These people have no rights. Uh, get ready to take your kid home. And, and this was in the very beginning. Yeah, this was probably three months into the process. Okay. Um, so I was excited. Right. You know, I did what I had to do. I was so ready to get my so. daughter. And the judge is like, oh, well, we're going to keep this child with these people because um, there's something that's come up on my desk uh, in regards to the father um, basically saying that I was unfit, unstable. Did you, um, did you ever things. learn the specifications of what they had said to make you unfit? Yeah, the, the mother tried to say that I was violent and that I punched a hole in the wall, uh, the place that we were cohabitating at the time. Of course, I had my uh, 
landlady testify that, you know, she didn't have any... Uh, right, damages to the yeah, property, any, right? Yeah, she didn't have to make any reparations, uh, repairs. So a flat-out uh, lie, not even a stretch of the truth. Yeah, basically. I mean, gotcha. I mean, I have no criminal record. You know, I've never been arrested. I had no positive drug test. Wow. Um, I smoked cigarettes, and they made a huge deal out of that, you know, saying that third-hand smoke was causing health issues with her. Um, okay. But my daughter's never even seen me smoke a cigarette. She's never been around it. Um, but they don't have anything to claim me to be unfit. And Nothing through, definitive. Through everything, and the judge had even said that I was unfit. Uh, she said that I was emotionally unstable because I cried in the courtroom um, after this had been going on for over two years. You guys are keeping my daughter away. Of course, I'm going to fucking cry. Right. Yeah, that's absurd as well. Right. You know, I was thinking somebody can win a football game and cry about that, but... Right, yeah. You know, I can't Take my daughter. I better have a straight face. Um, Wow, dude. And she's... The judge has basically tried to maintain that I'm unfit. Uh, It's gone to the Court of Appeals twice. It's now going back for the third time. Um, They basically said initially... we hadn't filed an appeal yet. We had filed some different things. Um, they said that they agreed with me that there was no uh, evidence whatsoever that I've been unfit. Uh, there was no evidence whatsoever that I waived my superior right to custody. Um, yeah, because they didn't sign the papers. Right. It wasn't legally binding. So now it's going back finally as an appeal. Um, and my second lawyer, the one who's doing the um Appellate law, uh, she basically says she thinks it'll take another two years for the Court of Appeals to make their decision. And that's, and that's as of recently? And that's supposed to be expedited. Yeah, that's within the uh, the past few weeks that I, I made my last uh, filing. Wow. Man, I just you said you had a foot and a half tall of documents mm-hmm. from all the times you've been to court. Yeah. What are some more, like... I'm just so interested and intrigued and also infuriated, don't get me wrong, about the corruption in the court system. And you said uh, you're the family that's, you know, temporarily got custody of your daughter is a lawyer. The father is. Right. And then he's got a lawyer that knows the judge Hmm. on a first name basis. And you said it went to the Court of Appeals. Is that a different judge now? Oh, yeah. They they have a panel of judges. Um, Okay. It's completely outside of the... um, the county system. Gotcha. So do you think that plays in your favor now that you're in a different court? I would hope so. I mean, obviously the guy has some pool. I think maybe he has some family members on the council around here. Um, But there was a lot of discrimination showed. um, The fact that I don't have the money that these people do, the fact that I wasn't married, um, the fact that I was a single dad, you know, trying to fight for my daughter there was a lot of discrimination showed against me. I mean, the judge sat in the courtroom at one time and said, uh, I can give this child to whomever I want. Um, basically saying these people are more fit to take care of the child than me, that I've put them through all this emotional trauma and that I should be ashamed of myself for what I've done to these people. Wow. Um, and if I considered getting my child at any point that I needed to write out a check for $20,000 to these people. Um, that was one of the things that she said. Uh, she's basically admitted to breaking law in, the law in the courtroom. Um, and this is 
the judge or their lawyer? This is the judge. The judge. Um, And their lawyer broke the law. I mean, the whole ex parte order was illegally done. And they were like, oh, we made a clerical error. And that Um, was acknowledged in the courtroom. Oh, yeah. That those errors have occurred and nothing was done about that? Right. Well, I mean, because there's no there's nobody above the judge in there. Um, You know, I could go to my attorney or find another attorney and try to file judicial misconduct. Um, But the fact is that if they have to deal with this judge on a daily basis, they're not going to file that against her because she can just rule against them out of of spite. Yeah, out of spite for them to try to get her in trouble. Um, There was at one time that I had a couple members in charge of the case from uh, Frankfurt, from the, uh, uh, what is it, the... Family Services. Yeah, okay. Um, basically in charge of the case. Uh, they came down to testify on my behalf, saying that these people that have my daughter never even qualified as applicants to get temporary custody, um, and the judge had them removed from the courthouse. I mean, there's a lot of shady things. Like, for instance, uh, the guy that has my daughter, there were two pages missing from his police report. Mm. And that was never... Wasn't even addressed. Pulled forward. Yeah, it was addressed, but basically ignored. Right. Um, of course. So there's no telling what you know, what was being hidden there. Um, I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to get you too emotional, but I, I am curious on the, the introspective portion of this. Like, I can only imagine how it feels, to be a part of something, to you know, trying to gain your daughter back, your child. And literally having barely any control in the situation and fighting for this long, five years. I mean, like, if you feel comfortable with it, what kind of, what kind of like trauma has that caused? I can't even begin to explain. I mean, it's only if you're comfortable with it, man. Depression, anxiety, um, feeling helpless. Yeah. Um, you know, wanting to give up because it's so hard to keep going. I mean, I have to pay child support to these people, which right now I'm behind on, uh, you know, $370 a month just so I can keep seeing my kid. Um, what the fuck? I can't, there's nothing that I can compare this to emotionally. Um, I mean, there are times that it doesn't bother me. If I'm occupied with something, yeah. But there's not a day that goes by that it doesn't that it doesn't bother me, right? You know, and it's it's hard for me, but on another level, I worry more about what my daughter's going through because she doesn't have a choice in the matter and she doesn't really understand. Yeah. Um, you know, she's growing up with these people that are strangers that she's calling mommy and daddy, and she has no idea that they've stolen her. You know, she has a brother and sister that aren't her brother and sister that she's going to be very tightly, you know, close to that if I ever do get custody, it's going to break her heart when I take her away. And that's not fair to her. Right. But, I mean, I can't... It's honestly the hardest thing I've ever gone through, you know? Uh... You know, you you think about the loss of love going through breakups and stuff like that. And there's nothing like the love for your child and, you know, having a child taken from you. I couldn't even imagine. 
man, I appreciate you uh, sharing that perspective on it because that's the most important part, I think. The corruption in the system that's caused you to feel this kind of trauma, to go through this experience. It's, it's inhumane. It's just ridiculous that our government that claims to be so high and mighty and all about our, you know, our well-being and so on and so forth has done this to so many people, including you. And, you know, reading a story about it for me, you know, reading a story about it on the Internet or whatever, an article is, you know, that's sad. But I've met somebody and talked to somebody. It's hard for me to hold back my tears right now. And I just feel for you, bro. And, you know, I think for in a because of the emotional distortion we're going through, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with the rest of the story, guys. And we're back. Um, Baby Huey, uh, his dad actually experienced something very similar to. Paul's situation, not to the same extent. It definitely wasn't as harsh. But um, I just want Baby Hugh to share that story really quick so we can have a note of comparison just so you guys know that this is real. This is real life. So let's let's hear it. Yeah, and I'm going to do a, a long story short basically on this. Um, excuse me. Okay. I'm do a long story short. Uh, basically, my, my dad had two kids when he was 19. Uh, we're both five months apart. Um, but my mom uh, went about it. She's a very caring woman, very empathetic. But the other woman's mom, I, I would put her on the same level, like borderline personality. It's all about her, blah, blah. So she got really bad on drugs and wouldn't allow uh, my dad to, to uh, talk to my sister and um, really pushed my dad away and demonized him um, to the point where my – and when they're that – and when kids are that young, that it's – and it's your mom saying that. I mean, you know, it's going to – like where you were saying that, you know, when you picked her up, she would kick a tree in, but, like, as soon as you're all by yourselves, you're like, wait, it's my pops. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, and it's uh, it's really tough because um, uh, in the legal system, from what I've um, not personally gone through, but what my dad's gone through, uh, the, the man, uh, apparently, especially in, in Kentucky or in, like, some of these states, we have a little bit worse, is that the man has no right whatsoever. Um it's to protect like the woman, but when you have a good dude, um, it really makes it hard for you, especially people who know how the law works and that's how to play it. So instead of doing what's right, they just, you know, and with Paul's situation, you know, you got two, you got two people who know what the fuck they're doing and have money. So they're like, well, these are the laws on the books. So uh, we're gonna do everything we can to, you know, keep you out of it. So I. So you said you are paying child support at the moment? Yeah, yeah. But I, I agreed. Um, so, was, so uh, <laughs> real quick. So was it like, um, were you, was it taken to court and then you had to go from there or? Yeah, I mean, the, the child support agreement came through mediation. Um, it was basically something that my second attorney uh, recommended because they were saying uh, that I hadn't provided anything for the child. Of course, all my finances were going uh, for legal fees at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. She said that you need to agree to pay child support in order to get more visitation with her. Um, and I was willing to do anything to get more time with Absolutely. her. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, so I basically agreed to that. Um, but it, it's it's kind of messed up. When your hands are pretty much tied at that point, yeah. you know, I feel like, it, well, you see your kid or you have to pay child support from now on, you're like, well, I guess I'm paying child support. Right. You know what I mean? What else are you going to do? Where, but it's kind of messed up now. It's good that you're, get, you're getting visitation, which is amazing. But um, I wanted to talk about um, – I have years of stories about this stuff too. But my mom's ex-husband, um, he would 
my, my dad felt threatened that they were going to take him to court um, because my dad wanted uh, a little, like, his dad never technically had custody of me because he didn't really need to because my mom was, you know, really, you know, whenever you want to see him, absolutely, whenever you see him, cool. So he he didn't sign away any rights. It was just, you know, we're going to do this together like, like adults. So right. there was no really need because my dad didn't want um, – have to have days where he had visitation rather just like because he was working two jobs you know he's trying to get out of his feet because where he just had two kids i mean shit, i mean that once again that's you know that's I mean, that's obviously his his fault but i mean you know he was trying to do right so he's trying to get back on his feet you know he was um trying to get a place he you know he had a car and a place to live but it wasn't perfect so he's like whenever i whenever i can see him I, i'm 100 percent when i see him and he would come see me in school he would come to my lunch a lot i remember that when i was younger but when i was around um probably say five um, he felt threatened, um, not from my mother particularly, but from her, her husband at the time, that um, they were going to take him to court, and he didn't want me to go through that. So he kind of backed off. So I didn't really talk to him for probably like, like eight and ten years, wow. eight years, which was tough on him. Talking to him now was really tough on him. Um, and it was tough on me because, you know, I mean, like I'm five, which is the same age as your daughter. So, I mean, it's it's really tough on everyone's situation. But, you know, once that happened... Um, he did it because he didn't think it would last that long um, because he thought I'd reach out to him. And then, you know, once years passed, I mean, you've been fighting this whole time, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's kind of different. But, you know, you go on with your life. I mean, you know, it's your kid. And he's like, I thought about you every day. But, you know, I didn't know what would happen. Um, but my, my stepdad would try to poison him against me all the time. So he would just talk shit about him like he was never there. Yeah. He never saw you. Know, and I was like, I remember I was like, he even told me, he really did, I was probably probably three times a week, he would come to my lunch and, you know, we'd, you know, we'd hang out, you know, or, you know, after school we'd hang out for a little bit, you know. But, you know, he didn't like dealing with her husband, which used to be one of his best friends, but, um, which is crazy because he got with my mom, like, right after. And so yeah. it was like, it was like that's kind of weird, you know. Yeah. And he didn't, you know, and they were, you know, friend dynamic, and all of a sudden he's like, you know, what's, what's, all, this, what's all this going on? You know, so he felt kind of, you know, he didn't want to hang out with, with my um, my mom's ex husband, just because like he was like you kind of screwed me over, man. I thought we were buddies, but it was yeah. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up what you did. But you know, he wanted to see his kid. And then when I was there, um, he would um, we'll call we'll call him D. That's my mom's ex husband, okay? My old stepdad. So D would try to you know when my dad was there and we were all there together, he would try to you know um, like make it so he used to like, put my dad down. So where like if you try like you know, play and stuff, he would always try to hop in, you know. So that way, you know, I couldn't get like a, attached to him. You know yeah, what I'm saying? So he, sure. uh, you know, because he was trying to you know be big man on the street. You know, I have, you know, I have, I have her now. You know, get fuck out. So, you know, that's kind of fucked up. You know, so I totally see where you're coming. I, I, all this stuff's real, man, and it's it's tough, especially when you're threatened with legal stuff. Because you know, even to go to the court at all. I'm not sure how much uh, it was for you, but to even go without a lawyer just to show up for a court hearing is 150 bucks cash. Now, when I, I said I pay it to help my little brother out, so even to just show up at court once, 150 bucks, you know. But if you have a lawyer, that's gonna go up a lot. And that was small claim. That was like small court, so I can't imagine if you're going to like a bigger court, yeah. you know. So I mean, yeah, paying child support is gonna paying child support is tough on you anyway, for sure. But you know, if you're every, every time you want to make it better, you have to. Especially for someone who's, you know, working and, you know, trying to do your own thing, you know, trying to be an adult, you know, try to build, build yourself up. It's, 
really tough because, I mean, man, every time you want to make it better, you have to think, fuck, you know, I got to pay rent. Uh, I got all these bills. I got to put gas in my car. I want, I, I was, if you could have pursued it a lot harder, and like you can only do as much as you can. I mean, because this stuff, it's not like, well, why don't you just go to court? Well, I didn't have, you know, 400 bucks to go. I mean, like I didn't, I couldn't pay for a lawyer. I mean, like, yeah, it's not like you're just being, you're just being inactive, right? I mean, like, you know, right. it's, it's real fucking hard, man. And I, I just want to hear that part where, you know, like, I mean, you've gone this for five years, and I'm sure you've been balanced as hard as you can, but I'm sure there's been fucking struggles. So I just want to, you know, cause that's a lot of things I didn't know, really, until my dad told me about it, and I didn't know until recently that, like, court costs are fucking crazy. I mean, even to show up at court, I don't have to bucks, that's, like, for anything. So, I mean, I, I just want to hear that kind of stuff from you. Um, well, I can tell you initially, um... I think to retain my first attorney, it cost uh, $1,500, um, and I didn't have that type of money. Uh, I was a to restaurant manager retainer? at the time. Is, 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 you said to, to put them on retainers? Yeah, okay. yeah basically okay. to get the, the process started. Um, okay. So I had to, I basically had my uncle co-sign for a loan because I didn't have the credit mm-hmm. um, at the time. So I got a loan for three grand. Um, and I did the fifteen hundred dollar retainer. Uh, that lasted about two to three court sessions, and then all that money was gone. Um, Seriously. And yeah, wow. That was at the point to where my first attorney was like, "You're gonna have to take this to the court of appeals. You need somebody who specializes in appellate law." Um, so I had to come up with the money to get a second attorney, and. Uh, her fees was three grand for a retainer, um, plus she charges twice what most people charge, like $300 an hour. Um, but I had a conversation with her. I sat down, and she took my case for $700, which was all the money I had at the time. Is that your current lawyer? My current lawyer, yes. Isn't um, she doing most of the awesome, pro bono man. now? She is doing everything pro bono at this point. Um, that's it, very blessed, man. It got to where... I'm not sure how much I paid between both the lawyers all together. I mean, I've, I've had to file bankruptcy. I lost my vehicle. I mean, I've lost pretty much everything that I have. Um, but it was at the point to where I had paid, I think, $6,000 or something like that, that she came to me, and she's like, at first she was saying, we'll do the appeal pro bono, and... It got to the point where she just came to me and said, you don't owe me anything. Um, and she's done well over $200,000 worth of work. Um, so I would have been out of this game a long time ago if I didn't have a lawyer that, that cared about what was going on and that wanted to try to do justice in this case. Um, and I think that uh, you're you saying that she said uh, you don't owe me anything. I think that's a good segue for the reason why she's doing that because she – like we discussed earlier in the episode that this is happening mm-hmm. a lot to a lot of good fathers that want to see their children. And the reason she's doing it pro bono, pro bono is because she wants to make a breakthrough in this case and actually make you kind of like a poster child for father's rights. Yes. Uh, she wants to get the law changed. I mean, that's it's basically kind of why I have a gag order, um, why I can't post anything on the Internet, why I can't use my last name. Um while dealing with this judge in the lower court, uh, I can't do anything, me or my family, immediate family, can't do anything involved uh, with social media, with media, uh, anything like that, um, until it gets 
beyond that level. And so, like I said, she's doing it pro bono. Uh, there was a time that I, I went to the FBI because I was like, I'll just go get this straightened out. I mean, this is obviously a conspiracy to commit fraud, human trafficking, whatever you want to call it. Um, and she discouraged me. She said, don't go to the FBI because she wants to get the law changed. She's like, you know, there's so many people that are suffering through this. If you can get through this and we're able to get the law changed or amended and we can actually, you know, have father's rights in the forefront, you know, and, and get the law changed to where men don't have to go through what I'm going through. Yeah. Um, she basically is like, if you suffer through this, people, other people won't have to after you. Um, so that's the reason, you know, that I haven't gone back to the FBI, that I've been trying to do it through the court system, even though it's such an arduous, slow-going process. Do you think that the FBI would quicken the process if you actually went to them? I think it's possible. Uh, I can tell you that the judge uh, is currently under investigation, and it may be because of when I went to the FBI. Uh, basically, I just filled out a sheet with my name so they could look up the court document. Um, I never mentioned the name of my attorneys or their attorneys or anybody else involved, but they can they can look up the court case. Uh, interestingly enough, the local FBI offices in the same building as the Court of Appeals. Um, Convenient. So it's being, it's being handled in that building one way or another. But I do know for a fact that the judge is under investigation. Um, That's a good step. She's had to tread very lightly with other cases similar to mine um, and has completely changed her tune with these other people. But it's obvious that she's not changing her, her tune as far as my case goes. So she's still pretty strong on uh, trying to get your rights back and change the law completely for every... Yeah, my, my attorney is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you... would What would you rather... I mean, obviously, you'd rather get your daughter back as quick as possible. And I, honestly, in my opinion, I think going through the FBI, with all the illegal actions that's taken place, there's a paper trail that they can obviously follow and kind of convict them. You could honestly sue them, get money out of them, and get your daughter back. But do, would you rather be the poster child and change the law? Or do you feel like the FBI isn't 100% going to deliver on that? What are your reasons? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I would like to help other people out if I can go through this and get this changed. Because you're a fucking awesome dude. Um, you know, if my suffering causes other people to not have to suffer, just because I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And if there's other people going through this and I can prevent that, then I think that would be you know, something phenomenal to do. Um, and the way I look at it is I can always pursue um, a civil case, which I may very well do um, because I can go after the people that have my kid, the adoption agency, um, probably the Commonwealth in general because they haven't stepped in. There's obviously no um, checks and balances. I mean, the, the judge has complete authority, you know, with nobody over them. To, to be able to do anything. I mean, the fact that she had members from the cabinet kicked out, you know, that tells you something. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. Our system set up that to where somebody's at the top tier of power and it's not even that as high as you can go. And I, I have a question on that. So are you allowed to appeal to have a jury trial or is it not allowed? Well, the, dealing with the court of appeals, I mean, basically I don't step foot in the building. Um, basically the paperwork is given to them and it's a panel, I believe, of five judges. 
Is it like a Supreme yeah. Court? Is that, what you're, is that kind of like no, a... No, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just the, the Fayette County Court of Appeals. Okay. Um, the Kentucky Supreme Court would be the next step. If they were to gotcha. deny gotcha. me and deny my rights, um, in which case, I mean, I could also win at the level of the appellate court, and then they could try to take it to the Kentucky Supreme Court, which my attorney seems to think that they're going to try to do regardless. Um, so this okay. may turn, I mean, this could go all the way to the federal Supreme Court for all that I know. Um, With your experience in the judicial system, do you think that'd make a difference? Do you think the Supreme Court is less uh, corrupted than the state level? I have no idea, but I think if it got to that level, then I think that there would be a lot of media involved. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And I think mm-hmm. that eyes of the public... Right. Being on that could create a different outcome. I mean, I think where nobody knows about what's going on, and I'm hoping the appellate court does its job and goes by the law. I mean, they basically have agreed with me so far. Um, so maybe after this two years, they'll give me custody. Um, like I said, I, I don't know if the federal, you know, courts are any better, but I think I mean, I think at some point the media will get involved. You know, I think at some point I will go and, you know, put it on social platforms, try to get on national television, um, because it's not only the Commonwealth or Kentucky that this is happening. Absolutely not. Um, I read about a case of a guy in Arizona, and he was suing the state, I think, for $30 million for a very similar uh, case. And his, you know, his case got a lot of media attention. I think that made a huge difference um so did, who who um signified the gag order uh it was basically you know my attorney it was it wasn't a gag order it was basically you know for the same reason i said of her not filing judicial misconduct against the judge gotcha um this judge hates social media oh, anything okay. of her cases being involved in it so if so I she's were like go, personally adhering to the judge just to make her happy enough right. to go through the court system, right. so she because can she has to deal with her gotcha. on a, a daily and weekly basis. Understandable, mm-hmm. but still bullshit that you have to yeah. go through those. I mean, it's politics, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. I can't believe you have to battle politics in a case of you know just it's a human thing. I know we're all humans at the core of everybody. We're good, you know what I mean? It's but I mean that's what I I used to think. Then I've had John on here. You, you know John from right. work. Had him on here about his story. Now I have you on here, and it's just really making me recalculate my perception on humans because, like, I always used to think humans were good at heart, and I feel like they really are, but our system and our society is so conflicted with, you know, media and all these different uh, outlets to make yourself more knowledgeable, and everybody wants to think with their head and not their heart. It's all about logic now. It's all about mm-hmm. money. It's all about one, two, three, ABC, charts and graphs. Nobody thinks with their heart anymore. And it just it's just crazy. And I feel like, and like you said, you th- you know the FBI might push this case along, but then again, you have no idea. You know, they might be the same way as the true. the state or federal level judicial system. So I mean, that's a hard situation. Yeah, my my intention was um, initially to go to the media first. Yeah. And then go to the FBI and then tell them, look, I've gone to the media. Um, if you don't do your job, you're going to be exposed as well. Yeah. Um, that was my intent. Um, and I, I, like I say, I may pursue, uh, civil litigation after this. I may pursue a uh, criminal investigation. Um, cause these people should be in jail for what they've done. 
you know, and I may end up in jail for non-payment of child support just because I've gotten so far behind and I haven't done anything. It's very easy to do. Very easy to do. My my dad was, he went to jail twice for it because, um, I mean, even if you like lose your gig, they don't care. That's sympathetic to fathers at all. So it's, it's really tough when you said, you know, you believe in humans and stuff. That's a lot where my, you know, where my, you know, um, what's that called? Pessimism comes from. Just hearing from my dad's story where people just, fuck you, man. Yeah. And that was, that was turned you down. But my main, my main question was, I want to chime in was, do you feel like the FBI, um, I had a phrase, the FBI and go get to a higher court. I feel like, um, I think a lot of stuff does have corruption in it, 100%. But um, people will see it. And then they can't, they have to act, they might be, might have their own biases, like with the actual, like the federal Supreme Court. They might have their own biases. Yeah. But they can't get backdoor deals because people will notice instantly. Right, because they have a bigger, right. um, bigger light of speculation on Exactly. Them. So, like, that, that kind of judge, um, because well, I was really thinking about my other brother, uh, the judge we were in Tennessee. Um, she, like, I was watching the court all day, and she would judge people differently. I don't know why. Apparently, she had personal relations with them because she used to be the DA. So she was uh, a lot okay. of their. She actually used to be because they at first they go through all the inmates that are going through it. She actually used to be their prosecuting attorney. She would judge them a lot more harshly than she did everyone else. And I started to pick up on it because I was there for three hours somehow. Oh, Court sucks, oh, yeah. and I empathize with you. I'd uh, never been to court before, besides yesterday. Court, wow, that drags on. But yeah, I could tell with some people, I was like, she would even look at them differently. But she used to be the DA, so right. I'm, just, I'm not saying I, that's not what happened to you. But you know, they have just shows the attachment to the corruption mm-hmm. levels. And yeah. it, it might even not be like corruption as much as your bias. Um, no one checks you on it because yeah. they have to work with you every day, as you said. Like, you know, I mean, the people I work with, you know, if I might, you know, check them a little bit. But if I was to be honest with people, you know, and people like, you know, at your work, you know, DJ, I'm sure you could, you, if you wouldn't work with them, you would say some much harsher stuff to them. Oh, yeah. But you got to work with them every day. You can't just walk around and just, you know, call people out for everything. So, I mean, even if you think something's wrong, it takes a really strong person to say, hey, what you're doing. What you're doing is wrong, right? And it's not right. So in retrospect, like, I think kind of the fuddles the whole word of corruption because corruption is really, in my opinion, just a a level of bias and emotional attachment and knowingness of other people by the individual. And these individuals have created a network and every other system, and that's the corruption, quote unquote, that people talk about. And nowadays in the media or like the dark web or whatever, people talk about it as like a big conspiracy, like the government's corrupt. This is corrupt. That's corrupt. But the levels of corruption they don't understand. Yeah. And I think this interview and John's interview are great examples of the specific corruption that we're trying to exemplify here. I think what we should talk about is corruption also paired with incompetence. Because what, what I classified your judge as is incompetence. That's yeah. less corruption. Because she's been allowed to she's been allowed to do, this, do the law like she wants. Now she admitted that she did unlawful things. Why is she a judge? That's incompetence. It's yeah. less corruption just and it's they're tied hand in hand. Right, exactly. I don't, I don't know the word for that, but if you did incompetence and corruption, where you're just allowed to do whatever the fuck you want, that's that's not right. right. It's corrupt at the fact that she can do whatever you want. Exactly. And it, then the right. incompetence level can play because it is corrupt. Exactly. And that's, yeah. those go hand in hand, especially in this kind of stuff. For I, sure. I think something interesting in my case is because it's tied to an adoption case, 
um, all the records are sealed. So anytime that I would have to go to do a motion on a Friday, I would always have to be the last to go and everybody else would have to leave the courtroom. So I was never able to have public witnesses as to Mm. what I was going through. Uh, The same thing when I actually went to trial, nobody else was allowed in the room unless they were called in to testify. So I wasn't able Mm. to have any type of support system around um, anything of that nature. And that's only in uh, adoption cases or like, you know, similar cases to that matter? Because they initially tried to adopt and they tied this into an adoption case, they've made it to where nobody else can be in the courtroom. Um, So... Other than the lawyers, nobody can see the corruption that's going on. You know, other wow. other civilians, you know, other other attorneys that sit in on other cases. Um, nobody else is allowed to see that. So you told um, me once before you plan- you wanted to write a book. Do you still plan on doing that? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would very much like to. Um, it's difficult right now to get the time, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. between working. Um, Trying to pay your bills and child support. Paying bills, child support. And basically I have two days off a week, which is the time that I get my little girl. Um, right. I, I really appreciate you taking a day off of your week to come in here and tell your story, man. Absolutely. Me too, Absolutely. man. I think, it means a lot to me. I think it'll benefit you and many people because I really want to get this message out there, you know. But, you know, I, the premise of your story, man, had your daughter taken a birth unknowingly, the baby mama was nowhere to be found, went AWOL. Three days after they adopted her, you get a pa- you know paper in the mail and – Long story short, you've been trying to get your own child since birth for five years. Mm-hmm. You were fucked around with the military as well. And, man, like, you just have a really hard story, and I'm, I know it's hard to tell it, so I appreciate that as well. Absolutely. But um, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for coming out, man. And I hope people hear this story and really are aware. So I and, appreciate um, the opportunity to tell it. Yeah, no problem, man. Dude, I'm really glad to have you on. Um um, if you don't mind me saying, um, when I first heard your, like, I didn't hear your whole story, but when I first heard just little details about it, I was honestly very skeptical about it. Just because, um, you know, when you hear, because I only heard anecdotes, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I only heard this guy's kid got taken, taken from birth and the FBI is involved. So, it just, it sounds crazy. But you hear the whole story, man. I mean, it's that's very touching and it's very relatable and I never even thought to relate your because once again I didn't hear any backstory so and my brain always goes bullshit you know so, that's yeah. how my brain works you know what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> that's how my brain works so and I think that's what would be really incredible here because when, if anyone hears the headline of your story you know especially people who want to call bullshit they're going to call bullshit and I'm a very empathetic I, mean, I think I'm a very empathetic person you know and um, but I also call bullshit a lot of stuff and I think your case where I think you're fighting the good fight, you know, where my dad gave up, you're not. And that's, it's incredible, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I think there's a lot more people out there who might not be going through as extreme of cases as yours. I think your, your case is a, is a perfect amount of extreme to where it will catch people's attention, you know what I'm saying? And it's, uh, it's, you know, worth getting noticed, but there's a lot of people who are going through a lesser extent, but they're still getting screwed over, yeah. you know? And I think if we change the laws, it'll fix even, I mean, like, cause this is kind of a, you know, extreme case for sure. But, um, everyone's cases, you know, I know two other guys who are going through not, not, not the same, but you know, where they're getting, you know, talked down to, or they're getting less rights than they should. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like if we, I think every I think each parent should be treated equally. I've always thought that, but that's not the case at all, man. And people think it is, but it's not. You know, the mom has all the rights 
they call everything. Yeah. So, oh, it, it, even if the dead is the sole, um, uh, you help me with that caretaker. Word? Caretaker. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if the mom tries to come back in, they'll just give her to the mom. Yeah. They'll just take her to the home. Gone. That's just. It's not the sole provider. It just happens to usually be the mother because that's kind of how we've done things forever. But um, it's not just the sole provider gets extra rights. It's the woman gets extra rights, right. which I love women. But I think things should be equal for good guys. You know, and, and this is a crazy case because the mother is even involved. Right. And yet he has, he has All he's fighting. He's fighting against, you know, two people who it's kind of an adoption case. But I mean, you know. You know, it's so we're just fighting to get you know nice guys like this heard, and that means a lot to me personally because I come as my past. But I want to ask you before we go: Do you have anything you want to say, or and you told an incredible story here, but you want to you know throw anything out there before we go? I mean, there's nothing else that I can think of. I just, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to get on here. Um, eventually, there will maybe no longer be a gag order, and I can do this on a. Uh, you know, a larger scale and, yeah. and try to get a lot more people to, yeah. to understand what's going on. And soon and as soon as that's, as soon as that gag order is lifted, you let me know, we'll get you back on here and we'll yeah. tell as many de- details as we can. But just to close it out, um, we are going to link a GoFundMe page for Paul here in his situation. Cause you got to remember he's working 40 plus hours a week to pay his bills and the child support and the legal costs just to get his daughter back. He's been fighting five years. So if you guys can help out, that'd be incredible. And once again, this is Hugh Finger. We'll see you next week.